the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I always enjoy uh, sharing with you uh, stories of, of God's faithfulness in people's lives. Uh, and today with me, I have Kim Vogler. Welcome to Heart of the City, Kim. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Chuck. Well, I'm trying to think back. You and I have, have known each other off and on probably for, what, 10, 12 years, something like that? I think it's longer than that <laughs> because I met you when we were still living in Seattle, and we've been over in Kitsap County for 29 years now. Oh, my. Okay. So, <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah, yes. we're, t- we're telling our age now. <laughs> That's right. Well, in fact, you used to uh, work at KGNW. Yes, I did. Yeah. How many years ago was that? Well, let's see. That's got to be at least 20 years ago. Yeah, 20 years. So it's been a while. You were, uh, you said hello uh, before our, our session here. You said hello to Dave Drury, and Dave's been here for, oh my, 25 years or more. Now. Well, maybe it's more like 25 years yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah. So Dave's, uh, Dave's been here a while, and, and, uh, and you were here on staff for a while. The station's been, uh, here in the Seattle area as as KGNW for uh, uh, over 35 years now. So it's been a while, but uh, I wanted to 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 uh, sit down and chat with you a little bit. You have a book that you've you've written that uh, has has come out and it's called Home Before Dark: Stories and Anecdotes from the Days of Your Life. And so I always love to hear stories of 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 people and how God has worked in their lives from from beginning to end, and and uh, you um, don't want to. Re- I don't want to reveal your age, but you've had a history with the Lord now for many many years, for decades, haven't you? Yes, that's very true. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the beginning. You start off in your book, and you talk you talk about uh, growing up. You had a sister and right. a mother and father, and where did you grow up? I was born and raised in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and uh, my father and my mother and my older sister, my dad was involved in manufacturing farm equipment. Um, I lived across the street as far back as I can remember from my grand, from my grandmother and my grandfather. Uh, he came over from Germany. Wonderful people. Um, we were very much in the center of our 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 worship i was in a parochial school from first grade on so i developed a very significant walk with the lord very young very early i can remember in my confirmation years uh when we took our confirmation vows it was one of the most moving experiences that i had ever had in my my short life at that point but 
the sad thing is, is you can have really, really deep roots and still get very, very far from the very one that that you so need to be close to, yeah. and that's the Lord. Yeah, that's right. Well, so what was home life like back then in, in, the, in the early days for you and your sister? Well, for one thing, everything was face-to-face, so different from even, you know, the past, I would say, 25, 30 years. Um, we were a close family. We all sat down every evening and had uh, prayers before dinner and prayers after dinner. Uh, we talked about our day. We talked about the things that were important, our goals, our our dreams. Um, we had our idiosyncrasies. We think I think all families are a little bit dysfunctional in one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> but in matters that count, it was it was a wonderful, youthful upbringing. Um, those are the memories that I flashed back on immediately when I decided to write my first book. Uh, there were some sad things, too, that transpired, but that's how, how life is in a normal family, and I guess we were about as normal as any family could be. So you were talking about your, your time of confirmation. When, what, uh, what, how old were you at that time when you... I was... I believe I was 13. Yeah. So there, even during that time, there was a sensitivity towards the Lord and towards spiritual things where you, you were aware of, of his presence in your life. Absolutely. Jesus was very real to me. And, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for uh-huh. the Bible tells me. So I learned all of those things when I was growing up from first grade on. Uh-huh. And... Christmas and Easter and the traditions that came with those celebrations. Um, I talk about those things in my book, too, because those memories are so vivid, and I just cherish them. Yeah, yeah. You know, memories are like threads in the tapestry of life. Some are vibrant and some are very dark, but without the contrast, very drab indeed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the what people— well, not to get too far off subject, but but I think sometimes people um, have experienced pain in their lives, and they get so um, concerned about never wanting to feel pain again that they they do all sorts of things in their life to avoid pain. When in reality, pain, as you as you call it, threads uh, the the pain, the darkness, and, and the light, and. and uh, kind of merge together to make the tapestry of our lives, doesn't it? Well, that's true. And I was so guilty during the darkest part of my life to desensitize myself as best I could Hmm. uh, with alcohol, um, legal prescription drugs that just mess you up so badly. I look back on those years, and I just thank God that I didn't continue on that path. Yeah. How did that happen? What what was the what was the path that you started walking uh you know after those early years that you dis, you began to stray away from from the faith? Well, one of the first traumatic things that I think put me in that direction was I had a very brief marriage and it was um probably 
it was probably not planned upon in a very significant way. It probably never should have happened. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is that the man that I married decided that he was not going to have the kind of relationship that he wanted, and he tr- he took off with another man on our honeymoon, mm. Mm. which was just a very shattering experience. Mm. And I ended up in tremendous depression. Hmm. I became extremely depressed. And my dad said, well, we need to give you a new direction. We need to get you out from underneath this cloud that is hanging over you. Because you live in a small town, something like that happens, and all of a sudden people are saying, well, there must be something really kind of screwed up with her thinking, too. Mm -hmm. And so he said, I think you need to go back to college So I went to Drake University, and I got involved with the college. And um, I got involved with the church there, too. But sometimes we do things that we, if we thought them out, we never would have, have taken that direction. I so wanted to erase the sadness and the madness of this first experience. And I started dating one of the people that I, fellows that I met at church. He was a professor there at Drake. And Chuck, all it takes is one bad decision Mm -hmm. to totally turn your life upside down. And I made one bad decision and found myself pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I I think back on, on the trauma of that realization and this and, was back in the years when that was a i mean it's i'm not saying now it isn't a big deal but just the whole social impact of that is pretty significant back in the Oh there's no comparison. Right. There's no comparison. And the only thing I could think of at the time is I can't embarrass my parents anymore. Mhm. I need to see this through. I made a mistake, but this is my consequence. Mhm. It wasn't the kind of relationship that could have ended up in a successful marriage. So I just decided I would get through it. Mm -hmm. And I was living in Des Moines at the time. I had a little apartment. I had two cats. Um, And now facing this decision that I knew I had to see on my own, I started to create a whole different environment in my mind in order to get through it. Mm. I just needed to change my direction, and I thought that moving back to Seattle would be a good thing. I had spent a couple of years in uh, the Seattle area. I had been a flight attendant Mm -hmm. for a short time before I got married the first time. So I packed up everything I had, and I moved to Seattle, and that began a nine-month ordeal that I just barely got through. Mm. Um. Abortion wasn't legal, even if it had been. That was something I just could not have stomached. I mean, from the moment I felt that there was life inside of me, mm-hmm. my whole goal was to to give this child life and to get through this, and I wasn't sure how it was going to end up. I wasn't even sure how I would either try to keep this child and then... I got to the realization that how could I take care of a child when I was hardly able to take care of myself? Mm. Because mm-hmm. it was just so 
devastating. Mm -hmm. And so I got through those nine months. I actually got a job working nights at one of the small hospitals, and I had a story. My husband had left me, and yes, it was obvious I was pregnant. And I developed friends through work that simply believed what I was telling them. Mm -hmm. So I'll never forget, (laughs) there was a time that I was getting very close to having this child, and that, too, was just a a very challenging experience because I was a state pay patient. I had no money, what have you, so every time I'd go for a checkup, I'd have a different doctor, and I'd have to go through the whole story all Mm -hmm. over again. Mm -hmm. And after about the third time, this one doctor said, well, would would it help if I just was your doctor for the rest of this this whole situation, which it did. Yeah. That did help. Yeah. But when I finally quit because I couldn't work any longer and I get a call from the head nurse, I made good friends. These people were so kind to me. They didn't know what the situation was. Mm-hmm. But I got a call one afternoon from the head nurse, and she said, are you going to be home tonight? And I said, well, Mary, I, I'm home almost every night. And she said, well, can I drop by? And I said, well... I don't normally have a lot of company. And lo and behold, that night, she and about six other women showed up to give me a shower. And they noted that there wasn't even a crib there. Mm -hmm. You know, we're probably three weeks out of having this child. Mm -hmm. And I just lied my way through that, too. Yeah. Um. I finally did decide after he was born. I didn't know it was a, if it was a she or a he. Uh-huh. And I wasn't sure how to go about finding a, a suitable home. And it was really difficult because as soon as it, the word got out that there was a, an unwed mother in this particular predicament, all of a sudden people were showing up at the hospital wanting to adopt this baby and let you know turn sign the child over. Uh-huh. And it seemed so cold, and I had insisted that I be able to hold that child every time it was feeding time while I was deciding what I was going to do. Yeah. And that was against all hospital rules, too. I made a big fuss, and they didn't like it, but I did get my way at least at that point in time. Yeah. So I ended up meeting a really, really fine fellow who specialized in private adoptions and he was a friend of the doctor that was kind enough to see me through this whole pregnancy and delivery. And I signed over the papers, at least knowing something about the family that would be raising this child that mm-hmm. I just had. Mm-hmm. And after that, I went back to my apartment, and the depression just it just overpowered me. And twice I almost successfully ended my life. Wow. But I didn't. Hmm. And through a variety of, of happenings that were totally out of the blue, I did meet a really fine young man that was in the same apartment building. I hadn't confessed hardly to anybody what was going on. My parents didn't know. Mm. They finally did know the second time I almost took my life, and they ca- the, the hospital called my mother and said, you know, you have a daughter here in Seattle, and we're not s- so certain she's going to make it. But that was a situation, too, when 
things happened within our family, it was always easier to just sweep them under the 50-foot rug. Mm -hmm. We didn't talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's in the past. You know, bury it. Don't go back to that. But that's easier said than done. Mm -hmm. So after lots of false starts, um, and I was just so longing to be back in God's grace, but I felt so totally wrong Mm. that it was very hard to get to that point, but I did get to that point, too. Yeah. And, you know, the final outcome of this very kind person that shared the same apartment building, and I, he was the first person that I actually shared my whole story with, and I ended up getting married to him for almost 11 years and had two wonderful sons, and that was a relationship that was based on tremendous need on my part mm-hmm. and somebody that really needed to be needed on his part. Mm-hmm. So that's not really the recipe for what you base a marriage on, but, you know, God blessed that relationship, mm-hmm. and it did last for almost 11 years. And for the sake of our sons, Heiko, my husband of 38 years, he is a very good friend to the father of my children. Yeah. He's, they're like brothers. People hear me say that, and they say, that just doesn't make sense. And I said, no, it does make sense because we were able to take those good things that came out of things that were so painful mm-hmm. and valley so deep, and we were able to discard all of the resentment that came with that and just focus on the good things that were part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was very good for the, the the two boys, too. Now they're growing up, of course. They have children of their own. I'm a grandmother. Yeah, yeah. Hard to believe. But I guess the most important message that I have is that no matter how far you go, and home before dark, that was always something that sig- was significant to me as the safest place I could go to. And I raised... I was raised in that kind of a family where it was safe to be home before dark. You know, you mentioned about that in the in the book, Kim. We're speaking with Kim Vogler. She's an um, author and uh, a former business owner. You had an agency for many mm-hmm. years, advertising agency, and uh, you're listening to Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmsted, the director of local ministry development. And, Kim, you, you mentioned about your mom used to say, uh, you know, when you went out to play, just make sure you get home. Before, Before dark. dark, right. So that had a significance to you. It's like that you, you needed to come home to a safe place. That's right. That's right. And so in your wanderings throughout this time when you were, when you were away from your, from your family and here in Seattle— there really wasn't that refuge, was there? You didn't. No. There was a, you were trying to find refuge in yourself somehow. Right, and 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 you know we we hear the scripture where the Lord says, "I I am your refuge," and That's at right. some point in time in your life, you re- recognize that you needed to find refuge in Him instead of your own devices. That's right, because I think I felt so lost that instead of looking towards Him, that could have carried me, I was seeking all kinds of distractions to take my mind off of how much misery I had gone through and how miserable I was. Mm -hmm. But there is only one solution to really 
dealing with that, and that's by giving it to him. Because he's the one that will carry the burden. All we have to do is ask him to do that and and truly regret all of the, the wrongs that put my most of my tragedy I caused myself. Mm. Because, you know, you get a little bit off off with the radar and before you know it you're not even going in the same direction anymore yeah you know i've often heard it said that sin is doing a good thing in a bad way and many times the the things that we commit against ourselves whether it's alcohol or whether it's fantasy trying to find a way of of uh of getting out of our pain through our own minds our own devices right. you know those those that desire or that 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 desire to to uh um, no longer feel pain is a good thing, but we do it in a bad way that's you know, right where the Lord wants us to give ourselves to him to give our pain to him to give our our uh circumstances to him the the natural tendency is uh, I'll figure this out myself and so we put band aids over all of these yeah. these painful things. And, of course, that never cures anything. No, no. And no. so some, somehow then truth has has to come back through, doesn't it? Truth, That's right. We have to come to a truth in our life, you know, that we can't do it on our own. That's right. And it has to be the Lord. And that's the rule for the rest of your life. And I think that, you know, I just thank God that he pulled me up to a point where I could recognize that. Mm-hmm. Because if you do ask for that direction with a sincere heart, he will give you the direction, but you have to listen, too. Yeah. And the best way to listen to what his direction is is to get back into his word mm-hmm. because all of the solutions are there from Genesis 1 all the way to the last of Revelation. And Kim, as I hear your story and you're sharing with me, and I, and I see you almost tearing up, and yet, you know, so there's still... There's a recognition that there was pain in your life, but there's no more shame. No. And that, and I think that's what's so wonderful about the grace of God in that's our right. lives, isn't it? Is that we can, we can talk about those things that we did on our own, but when we receive the forgiveness of the Lord, we can go back to those things and say, yes, that's what I once was. I was an alcoholic, or I was addicted to drugs, or I went into fantasy in my own mind. But now... Yeah, that's happened in my life, but now those are scars, right. and those scars will be there on my in myself, but yet I found healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is so true. And you know, as I get ready to put the second book to press, because it too has many um, experiences that some may be able to resonate with, but there were times when I questioned, do I dare talk about that experience because it's a little bit, it's a little bit too deep? Mm-hmm. And then I had to ask myself, well, why wouldn't you do that? Maybe it's your own pride. Mm-hmm. So if something is that painful that I might experience, there may be somebody else out there that has lost hope because they feel that they can't come back. Mm-hmm. But there is a way, no matter how far you've fallen. And that's what grace is all about. That is so true, Kim. That is what grace is all about. There is no sin that the Lord cannot redeem. He, right. is, he is our Redeemer, and his, his whole um, message to us, us is reconciliation. He wants to bring us back home right. 
before dark to him. It's like the prodigal son mm-hmm. or the prodigal daughter. I was the prodigal daughter. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have about one minute left, and I want people to make sh- uh, t- to know how they can get your book. The book is titled Home Before Dark by Kim Vogler. Kim, how can people get a hold of this? If they Google Home Before Dark by Kim Vogler, they will find my book title and my name very close to the top of the list. Uh-huh. And they can go to Amazon. They can do it at Barnes and, no- Barnes and Noble. They can actually... Uh, call my toll-free number, mm-hmm. which is kimv.homebeforedark at gmail.com. Oh, very good. Well, I want you to thank you for joining me today and sharing your story, Kim. I pray that it will be a source of, exp- of encouragement to those of you that are listening today. And if you need to find that reconciliation with God... You can do that. You can pray. You can seek his face, and he will hear your prayers. Thank you for listening to Heart of the City today. Kim, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Chuck. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216. Or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.